It's time for your weekly trip inside the ropes and behind the scenes of the Australian golf industry. Welcome to another episode of the Australian Golf Show with Tiffany Cherry and Mark Allen. Welcome to a fantastic show we have lined up for you. Tiffany Cherry alongside Mark Allen as the summer of golf continues in Australia. Many of our players on the international circuits are teeing off as we close out the back nine of January. Marco, what's caught your eye? G'day, Tiff. Uh, I plenty caught my eye this week. But, you know, it's hard not to have a look at Annika Sorensen mm. playing golf again. Not in the main tournament, in the celebrity event, but still she won the playoff. I think she won the playoff. Um, I want to talk a, bit, a little bit more about that with, with Martin uh, when he comes in because they, they had this wonderful celebrity tournament um, uh, on the LPGA Tour. Yep. Um, and, you know, you always hear the, the the macho fellas saying, you know, they're playing off two and they'd be able to beat the girls on their golf course. Um, yeah, they're all these ex-sportsmen playing off yeah. two. And, you know, yeah. very, very good players. They were left for dead. I mean, they <laughs> caught, they, they, they're absolutely dreaming if they think they can hang with the world's best lady players. I mean, yeah. they are. They are. Yeah. But to see Annika in that, uh, even just hear of her, her her name again. Actually, she's, a, she's a wonderful, wonderful and, person. And don't forget, Kari is yeah, playing again this week. I'm so, got, so excited to see that. You got two superheroes of the game, both putting their hand up and, and kind of playing. Uh, Kari's obviously this week. Uh, yep, uh, Annika in Florida. Yep, but that 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 to me was fantastic news to see those guys. Thomas Peters is impressive. What an impressive player he is. I, I, I hope he plays more in America. That's my thing. You've got all this talent. I know you, you know you, you're a European Tour Store Award. Uh, it's the World Tour these days. You probably want to support that, but really, you want to go and test yourself against the best as often mm. as you can. That's where the points are. That's where you get a, a real sense of how good you're going to be. I'd love to see Thomas Peters over there, but there's a kid called Victor Hovland. Uh, he takes yep. my breath away. Yep. This guy. I mean, I don't want to say it's a self-made swing, but it is. Yeah, you know, because because people think that's the wrong way. You know, he take he's so he's so strong, so powerful. Like the curious of tennis. Inside golf. A little bit over the top, comes into the ball and just brains it down the fairway. Doesn't miss too many fairways. He is fast becoming one of my favorite players to watch. Mm. So even though he didn't win over there, he had a triple bogey early in the in the final round. Just watching this kid play, I don't know, he's only got 22, 23. Just watch out. I've got a feeling he might do something very, very special down the track. Hey, and uh, speaking of uh, young rising stars, 24-year-old Karis Davidson. She won the uh, the drum and golf Melbourne International, which was and comes off the back of her fourth placing in the WPGA and looking good for a rookie season on the LPGA. Oh, just that's just a momentum builder. I Mm. mean, honestly, to see Karis at um, at Latrobe Golf Club this week, uh, and she was challenged in the back nine, and just for her, just after nine pars in a row. So, so quite often when you're a pro and you have nine pars in a row and you can just feel a little bit of heat, you know, the yep. girls are getting a little Yeah. You can you just go, okay, my 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 next not par has to be a birdie. If it's a bogey, you know, you can't help Cooked. but think, oh, what's going yep. on here? What's yep. going on? Come on, don't lose it. She made the birdie on the tenth hole and the way she went. Well, on the EQ and- school, just just on that one, she yep. had um she came back from five, she was five over, I think it was, to yep. to even par and to actually just just managed to get her card, which is amazing. Her mental strength is pretty impressive. You're not kidding. Yeah, golf's you know, golf can hurt you mentally. I mean, you even see the best players. 
Yeah, Cameron, Cameron, here's a great example. Cameron Smith sets a tour record um, on one island in Hawaii. The very next week, he misses the cup. So, you know, if you don't get off to that good start, it is hard to fight your way back. Karis is just showing us just how tough she is, golf tough. Mm. Um, Really good. Anthony Quayle coming back to the yep. uh, Queensland PGA. Yep. Nice to see the big names supporting um, our tour. Uh, $36,000 jumps into his count. Well done to the Queensland PGA. It's really important yeah, that if is. you're a professional money, you win decent money when you win. Yep. You know, it, it, so, again, the Australian PGA combining with Golf Australia, um, good things are starting to happen in the space. Karis won $7,500, not, not yep. the biggest purse, but it's something. It helps her going over to the States. Anthony Quayle and, you know, if the players have finished second, third, fourth, they get decent checks. Yep. And, and believe me, it's so important as a young professional, even as an old professional, that you've got money in your back pocket. There's nothing worse than playing this game with money mm. pressure, even when you're playing well. And, you know, the, 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 yeah, you start winning events, you want to be comfortable. And thankfully, um, you know, the, 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 the more prize money that's been pushed into these tournaments is really going to help develop our players yep. for when they get overseas. Hey, just on that too, uh, we, we mentioned it last week, but Karis Davison is also one of the headline players in the Athena, which is mm. the, the TV show designed for television, Fox Sports and KO, coming up 26th, 27th of Feb. Um, we've got 10 of the, the top female rising golfers in Australia yeah, and good. two and two who aren't professionals will be given the – they'll be chosen next week, I think. They'll, uh, they'll get the concept. nod from the WPGA. It's a great concept, so this. We get to see her before she goes over, obviously, you know, to the States, which is really exciting. Yeah, well, look, Karis, for everybody, it's, it's mm. a, a new name. We'll be following her. Hopefully we see her on the TV. You know, you get some early starts going well. We'll really get to know uh, this young superstar with a lot of yep. talent. So um, fingers crossed. Like I said, she's a superstar here, but it is hard. Once you get over over into the Northern, uh, Northern uh, Hemisphere tours, you're a little fish again. Yep. You know, she's going to be a little fish over there, but hopefully you get off to that good start and anything can happen. Hey, have you ever thought about designing a golf course? All my life, but uh, no talent, no talent. I, I, I think I know Can what you is draw? what is good. And what no, I can't draw, huh. but I know who you've cherry picked this week. Yes. And believe me, I am his number one fan. This kid, I mean, honestly, if 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 you got a golf course in Australia and you're thinking about getting anyone to have a look at it, you would only think of one name, and that name is Mike Cocking. And guess what? He's an artist as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, he's coming up right after this. Marco, I'm super excited with our cherry pick guest for this week and you know who he is and I know how excited you are to chat with him. He's the rising star of golf architects in the world and also a Victorian amateur golf champion. It's great to uh, have Mike Cocking from OCM, which consists, of course, of US Open winner Jeff Ogilvy and Ashley Mead joining us. Mike, welcome to the show. Hi, Tiffany. Thanks. Thanks very much for having me. I'm going to ask you the pretty uh, easy, straight-up question. How did you get into designing golf courses? Uh, no, it's a good question. I guess I was always – I was a pretty – when I first kind of got into golf as an 11-year-old, I took a pretty deep dive into it, I guess. You know, I read about it. I liked uh, reading about the old courses and the old players, and then that kind of naturally led to design. And um, I, was, I used to work in a golf shop, just like a part-time job. Um, it was a, one of the Drummond stores in, in Frankston as yep. a 15-year-old. And my boss, um, Michael Ferrone, I think it was at the time, who, who, who um, is the pro down at Mornington, he had Tom Doak's book, The Confidential Guide, which was a unique book at the time. It was kind of pre, 
uh, pre-internet, mm. and and he took a pretty sort of no-holds-bar look at golf course design. He was pretty ruthless, which at the time you never really saw those sorts of reviews because okay, yeah. they were usually sort of puff pieces in magazines and things. And um, that kind of opened my eyes to design, really. And um, from there, I, I got better at golf. And, and when I was playing, you know, around the world, I would kind of search out these different golf courses that he would write about to, mm-hmm. to see what it was all about. So that was kind of where it began. Tell me this. Tell me this. Uh, when I was a kid, I used to draw little uh, things on, on paper as well about my golf course. <laughs> yeah, but I, I did. But, I, but I've seen your sketching. Now, your sketching is is new next level. I mean, it's... It's as good a sketching as I've ever seen. And um, so tell me this, because pretty much everything you're touching at the moment is turning to gold. But I want to know, I reckon the art form, you you might be able to draw something, Mm. but how do you get that beautiful picture to look the way you want it to look? Because it's you're going from 2D to 3D and you're using tractors. And it's not like you're, you know, using your hands to mould some clay. Well, yeah, I mean, we're lucky to have a great team behind us for starters. I mean, we've got a number of um, shapers, I guess, you know, the guys that actually operate the machinery. Um, Jason McCarthy, one of the guys, we've worked together for 20 years. And so you do develop an understanding and a great relationship between what's a concept sketch and what's put on the ground. Um, Plus, you need a bit of license to be able to tweak things as well. You know, you might have an idea in your head. But as, as it starts developing, um, maybe trees have to be removed or you're pushing a lot of dirt, it might sort of um, slightly change from the original idea. So, and, and I think you need to be able to roll with that. You don't want to be too wedded in your original concept if there's an opportunity to improve it. Yeah. Um, so that, and that's kind of one of the keys with how we work is, you know, I guess architects that are very plan-based will typically do a detailed plan, give it to a contractor, and maybe visit a couple of times. But you end up being basically stuck with the plan, whereas if we kind of work with a concept and spend so much time in the ground that if there's an opportunity to make it better, we take advantage of that. So yeah. you're always trying to improve the product, um, if that makes sense. I want to just touch back on your, your artistic talent, Mike. You Both your parents, I believe, were art teachers or artists. Yeah. Um, And so that's obviously giving you a great grounding. But how does your art and your talent um, translate into, you know, into designing courses? And also I believe people can buy your artwork as well. Uh, Yeah, yeah, they can. Um, (laughs) I don't sort of advertise it too much, but um, I've got a website, I guess. Um, And, yeah, I I kind of, I like to dabble and do a, you know, I'll do the, you know, the odd course guide or, or, or painting or what have you. Um, I get, you know, I, th- I think, what was your original question, Tiff? I'm trying to. How does, how does your art translate into the designing oh, yeah. of the courses? Yeah. I, I think one of the skills of an architect is sort of the power of recall. Mm. You know, you sort of, when you go and play all the different courses around the world or see different bits of land, you know, the, the ability to remember particular holes the way the land moved and what made them so good, I think is a skill in itself. And then kind of when you see a bit of land or when you see a hole, it's almost like you're kind of flicking through the mental Rolodex of great mm. holes. And, you know, mm. what, what, what did this land remind me of? What does it look a bit like? And, mm. and often you sort of, you know, you're, you're almost being a bit of a mimic. You're trying to, you're thinking, well, that looks a little bit like the 10th West or the 4th Woodlands or whatever. And, and, and then you might be sort of slightly adapting it from there. You know, it's, it's rare that we'll try and copy a hole, but 
certainly I think that power of recall um, is the starting point. And then so in terms of art, often you're just sort of, or I'm just, you know, you might do a sketch of how you think, you know, that concept is going to work with the land you've got Mm. in front of you. Mm. We'll get to some of the amazing work you've done and where you are and, and what's up next. But I want to ask you what piece of land or if you could, if you had a dream location of where you could design a course, where would it be? What have you not touched yet? Oh, there's lots. Uh, we haven't the top touched. one. I mean, what, guess, what's the top one? Well, sand dunes on the beach is probably, you know, I would say that's probably the dream. <laughs> um, so, I mean, we're fortunate where I am at the moment. It's, it's sand dunes, um, great vegetation, lots of land. It's not on the beach, but it's, it's, it's pretty good, pretty good yeah. stuff. Yeah. Uh, well, I, I know we can't say where you are at the moment. You're in America. We can say that. Yep. Um, but... It's getting serious for OCM now. I mean, you are now being chosen over people like Dom Doak and Crenshaw and you know, some of the biggest design names going around. Have, have you found a little opening in the market? I mean, is that the story? Have people seen enough of what's been happening over there and now they want to give this kid from Melbourne a go and have a look at you know, what he can glean from the sand belt and maybe he can bring a little bit of sand belt golf to America? I mean, that's, that's my view but where do you see it um yeah i mean i would say i'd never put us you know quite in the company of you know tom and and coran crencher and what I have would. you i mean it's only time it's only well, time. i would i would <laughs> absolutely i mean yeah the fact that we're in amongst that sort of top 10 or 12 sort of firms around the world that are being talked about is is great it's very humbling um yeah, I think, I mean, we, our first project over here was at Shady Oaks and it, it went very, very well. And that kind of opened the door to the project we won at Medina. So certainly a big part of that. We put a, a very strong pitch to Medina and gave them a vision of how we saw the golf course and, you know, areas, weaknesses, I guess, but also opportunities to improve. But having having something on the ground in America did help a lot. And they they went there and had a good look at um, at the course. Sorry, we're going to ask a question. Oh. No, no, you keep going. I'm, I'm yeah. signalling to a tiff that I'm going oh, to ask okay. a question. No, that's right. That's right. <laughs> um, message. I'm not, I'm not up with the uh, code. Um, <laughs> yeah, and so, and then this opportunity here is is fantastic to 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 have the opportunity to build a new course in America is kind of a dream come true. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's it's we're in a, a good position at the moment, and. Um, Hopefully, we can just continue to ride the wave. So, so tell me. I mean, obviously, the Shady Oaks. I mean, people who don't know Shady Oaks, it's famously Ben Hogan's golf course. So, it's a huge name over in in America. And you got to use. You um, designed his paddock. Basically, there's a very famous tree where he used to under where he used to yeah. practice under, and, and he turned that into a short course. On the strength of the short course, you got the big course, and just you know the reviews started to come. Then you got Medina. Uh, that's yet to, um, you know, you haven't. I don't think you've pushed any soil over yet, as, as far no, as I know. Haven't. So, how, how would you describe the way that the way that your courses will look? Is there a certain look, or is it just completely, you know? Because the reason I say that because Jack Nicholas golf courses have a look, but they just do. Yeah. Uh, and and some of the old Trent Jones courses, they have a look, and they're, they're two guys that are very very different from what you and Crenshaw Core and, and Tom Dirk do. Very, very different. How would you categorise, if it's possible, the work you're doing on some of these famous old American courses? Uh, I think 
the greatest compliment people could pay us is that it's it is hard to pigeonhole us. You know, we we, we actually like the idea of every time we get an opportunity to look at a, a piece of land or a, or a golf course, um, just trying to find sort of the little idiosyncrasies that make it unique and 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 working with them. So, you know, somewhere like like Medina is very much a parkland style golf course. It's not going to be suddenly be this really rugged, um, rustic course. Yeah. It's still got to have an element of that parkland feel. You know, when we when we do work at Kingston Heath, I mean, what we we actually really try hard to make it not look like a new work. You know, we want it to look old. We want it to look like it's always been there and and that it's not obvious that we've done any work at all. I mean, we, we don't, we're not trying to create something there that's obvious that we've built it. Yeah. Um, so, and it's, so I think it's just trying to, you know, every site has different vegetation, different kind of contour, different soil, different grasses. So, yeah, we try very hard to sort of pick a, a bunker style and a theme and a look that's different one place to the next. Um, yeah, well, that's the aim anyway. Sure. Mike, you touched on uh, Kingston Heath and, and I love the nine-hole course there and, and we've got a huge Himalayan putting green here at Sandringham, which is a new home of golf in Australia. Yeah. And, and, you know, we've got the, the rise of golf amongst a new audience, the millennials, the Gen Zs, and a host of women um, under 50, you know, which we haven't really seen before. This this sort of new new taste of all golf is golf, which is part of Golf Australia's new strategy. That really all goes well for you. Are you finding that you've, you're getting a lot of interest for this new style of golf around the world to, to create it? Yeah, definitely. I think there's been, I think people, as, for, for a long time, a lot of golfers um, would only see a, a proper, you know, air quotes, um, golf course as being mm. par 72, 18 holes. It's got to be a certain length, mm. um, you know, four par threes, four par fives, all, mm. you know, but I think people have started to un- understand that golf can take on all sorts of different forms. There can be par three golf courses, maybe a 12-hole course, a 17-hole golf course. Um, and so I think that has opened people's eyes to um, that, that there are more opportunities out there and it's just too, um, you know, too, too confining just to stay mm. within these sort of parameters of what people see as, as being a proper golf course. Um, yeah, I mean, the, the, the nine-hole short course at Kingston Heath is a good example. Mm. I mean, that's something that I think par three courses have really taken off in recent years. The, the idea that, you know, you can have three generations all playing from the same mm. spot, yeah. everyone's enjoying it, beginners, you know, it's a great pathway in. It's also a good pathway out for people that mm. find the, 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 the full course just a bit too demanding. Mm. Um, so, yeah, we're going through a great period there and hopefully it continues. Mm. Who inspires you with your, your golf design? I mean, you are, as I said, the rising star in, in golf architect, oh. but, but who, you know, and you, you touched on it earlier, but is there, are there any particular designers that through the years that have really caught your eye? Um, yeah, I mean, I think all of, all of um, a lot of the current architects, we were lucky enough to work with Tom Doak early on in our careers. Um, just as very much a, a junior, not not at all sort of really influencing things, but that was a great learning experience. Um, seeing and playing a lot of, you know, Corn Crenshaw's courses, mm. um, you know, you take inspiration from from a lot of the work that's going on around us because we're really going through a second golden age of, of design. I mean, there's so many fantastic golf courses being built at the moment. But then, you know, a few generations prior, 
I think growing up in Melbourne, it's hard not to have to be influenced by Alistair McKenzie. Um, you know, he really did change the direction of course design in Australia, and and really the so much of the sandbelt can be attributed to him in some form or another. Um, you know, if he hadn't have come here, I'm not sure we would have ended up with the courses we have. Mm. So mm. I think that's it's almost imprinted, I think, in your DNA. You know, is it, even if you're not aware of it, just playing the Sandbelt courses as a kid and, and, and then as you start to study them, it, um, yeah, you can't help but be influenced by, mm. by Mackenzie. Michael, can we talk about Huntingdale Golf Club, home of the Australian Masters for 30 years? Um, yes. I was also a member there for 30 yeah. years, so this one interests me a lot. I was invited yeah. along uh, to one of the nights where you presented and a new yep. direction for the golf club. Um, yeah, talking to the members since, some of the members I saw in that room, they, they couldn't believe the concept that you came up with. I mean, for people who know the golf course, the, you've you've got on the on the table that the 16th becomes the driving range. Um, you've put a hole uh, on a piece of land that nobody even thought about behind the 7th green, uh, a little par 3 down behind the 8th tee. You reroute some of the holes on the back nine. It's stunning stuff. And, and when you presented... Um, the way you presented, you know, you, you had the entire room in, in the palm of your hand, which is, you know, I'd, I'd never actually seen that before. Quite often those those sort of meetings are quite hostile. Um, <laughs> yeah, they can be. Yeah, but, but you did a great job. Uh, so you, you march on to Huntingdale. They're interested. Tell me the process of how you turn that golf course upside down for what everybody who was there on the night thinks will be for the better. Where do you start? I mean, how do you just get your head around an entire course sort of redo? Well, for starters, it certainly wasn't all me. So I, I can't I can't take, you know, credit for it all. But, you know, it's very much a team effort. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I guess we, you know, we felt like, you know, for somewhere like Huntingdale, it's, it's you do have to look a little bit at your neighbours and, and, and understand all the great attributes of what makes Sandbelt Golf, Sandbelt Golf. And, um you know, it's a very small property, Huntingdale, that feels quite small, whereas somewhere like Kingston Heath does a brilliant job of being a small property that feels really big. So, you know, there's some lessons from some of the neighbouring clubs, I think, um, on, on how to make it a feel a bigger golf course. And, you know, we we usually, you know, I guess there you, you mentioned the driving range and, um, you know, we felt as though if it, that area in front of the clubhouse probably um the driving range detracts from that area um and that whole sort of northern end of the golf course and it's i guess there's two different fields to that course as well you know there is the older style greens and bunkers and sort of that's all on the ground which is some of the original berryman work and then some of the newer work um which is just different you know so, so there's sort of there's not a cohesive style to the golf course so i think the more times we walk it and understand it i mean we knew that course really well anyway um yeah, a lot of it was about coming out with a cohesive style. Um, you know, there's some elements of restoration there. Um, it, it's kind of an interesting history of that course in that um, Charles Allison, who was a fantastic designer, he was involved at Pine Valley, built, you know, 20 golf courses in America. He was a, um, a partner of Harry Colt. Um, you know, he designed it from, from England. He never saw the site. And then Berryman kind of built the work and made some changes and, you know, it's, it's interesting looking at some of his early plans. We thought there were some opportunities to actually do, you know, implement some of his ideas. Um, then there's a quite a few holes where we're 
you know, we think they're very good holes at the moment and we're just tweaking them. And then there's, you know, the, the area that you sort of suggested at that northern end where it's probably a bit more of a major, uh, major work. But, but yeah, we're really excited about it. And, and certainly the feedback from members has been great. I think everyone's, you know, Huntingdale for so many, or like people our age, represents the golden age of uh, golf in Australia. You know, it was, it was Greg, it was the 80s, you know, it was such an amazing period and it was an incredible tournament. Um, I think everyone's excited about sort of seeing somewhat of a return to that, you know, yeah. the, the Huntingdale of old, and even though it is a slightly modified course. So it's, um, yeah, we're, we're, we're really excited about it. And, um, yeah, hopefully it, it'll continue on as, as we hope and, um, yeah, can start construction. And, Mike, how do you divvy up, if that's the word, you know, between the three of you, between you and Ashley and, uh, and obviously yeah. Jeff, you, you all bring great talents to the table yep. do you all yep. work on a on a, a project together or do you one say you know I'll take the lead on this how does it how does it work is there sometimes too many chefs <laughs> yeah no it, that's right it, it's it doesn't work if you're trying to all have equal input I think so typically so usually Ashley and I are probably a bit more hands-on on the ground so we'll typically divide the projects 50 50 mm. in terms of who's the lead but then Jeff and whoever's not the lead, you kind of edit each other's work. Yeah. So we're all involved in the design phase early on. We all talk about different ideas. And then as the project gets underway, one person inevitably has to take the lead because it's, it's just better continuity for the client and for, yeah. and for the guys working on the, on the ground. But then the others are kind of regularly coming in. You know, did you think of this? Not sure that's working. That looks too hard. Um, and that's how we find we get the best results. You, t- you sort of, you kind of round off the sharp edges. Yeah. Um, and, and also you, you ensure that there's no misses, you know, sometimes, you know, because you're, I think as so many of the great holes are kind of on the edge. If you think about a hole like the third at Kingston Heath, mm. so much of the genius of that hole is the green complex and, and how severe it is. And if you would, just to take it a little bit further, it would probably be unplayable. Mm. So trying to judge that line of between mm. fairness and, you know, pushing it is, is an important part. Mm. You're not doing it on every hole, but certainly there's some. So I think having a few eyes on it really does help a lot. What, what's your favourite? I know, you know, you said before you, your work basically is just a, a helping hand with Tom Doak at St Andrews Beach and um, yep. Kingston Heath, Peninsula, Kingswood. Um, I, I'm a member at Kingston Heath and you wouldn't even know any work's been done. So your comment before really is absolutely right. You would not even know. And I think that's, you know, for a course like Kingston Heath or Royal Melbourne, that's the real trick to make it look like nothing's ever happened. What's your favourite? What, 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 what are you most proud of when you look at all the work you've done with all the different teams you've been a part of? What's the one you go, yeah, that's we got that one spot on? Well, I'd probably say... Peninsula Kingswood, but it's it's as much because I was a member there for twenty. Years. Well, I'm still a member, but you know, I joined as a fifteen year old, and I think when when we were invited back to, well, it really started out more as a started out more as conditioning and things, and it kind of just grew and grew and grew and grew, and 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 then the and the board kind of adopted an attitude of, look, we're just going to do this once and do it properly. So we we were kind of given the keys. But I think to be invited back and to know so many members there and to know the course so well, it was more that it, it you know, A, we're all very proud of the work, but it just means something a bit more special that it's a place that, you know, you were, it really it was my second home for, 
um, the best part of 20 years. So um, that's special. They're all kind of special, all the places we've worked. I mean, Kingston Heath, mm. um, I'm a member there as well, like you, Mark, and, it, and it's and it's sometimes it's difficult to take off your member hat and, yeah. you know, your, your architecture hat. Um, the very first course I was, I was kind of, the lead architect on up at Hillsville at RSCV Hillsville. I mean, that's really special no, to me yeah. as well. Cause it was, you know, as a 26 year old to be, to have the opportunity to kind of all these ideas that you'd stored up in your head for so long to put them on the ground mm. is, is special as well. So um, I, I'm not sort of answering your question with, with <laughs> one course, but um, yeah. Good that's, insight. That's probably the three. Yeah. Can I just got one, one more question on, on the courses you've done recently? Um, yeah. Sandringham Golf Club. Um, again, yeah. for people who grew up in Melbourne, it, it was always known as the best true public course. Um, you know, not some of the new ones that came up, but it was always, as, as far as public golf courses went, that was always kind of number one. You got handed the keys there recently. You've transformed yeah. the place. And the people that I know who still play it, they all give it this. It's a mini Royal Melbourne. Yeah. That must be music to your ears when you hear that. Absolutely. I mean, that, that, it kind of, um, I guess, the expression of um, necessity being the mother intervention, you know, that the way that course started out, um, you know, it became, it was touted as the home of, you know, the home of Australian golf, I guess. And, and to do that, they needed a fairly large footprint, which which got rid of the original first and ninth. So all of a sudden, there was a question of do we try and build you know twelve holes or thirteen holes, or do we keep with eighteen, but they're much shorter holes. And I, I think the uh, the client was keen on the eighteen holes, but the more we thought about it, we thought, well, why couldn't this be a mini sandbelt golf yeah. course experience? And given given that the sandbelt's known for its par threes and short par fours, well, kind of works really well. Um, and then chatting with Richard Forsyth, we talked about, you know, w- would he be open to the idea of using the same grasses as, as Royal Melbourne on Sandringham and, and, and giving the public a, a true sandbelt experience, which is, mm. which you just don't get, you know, yeah. for, for, for $50 or, or whatever it is around. And so fortunately, everyone bought into that idea. And um, yeah, we, we, we just tried to, we didn't necessarily try and copy too many green complexes, but certainly we took inspiration from a lot of the the green complexes next door and over the road at Victoria. And um, yeah, it became a, it was a, it was a terrific little job. And um, it's just great. That, I mean, it, I think it got ranked inside the top 50. Top 50 by, yeah. Top 50 is, in Australia. It's unbelievable for a course that measures, yep. I mean, it's 4,600 or 4,700 metres. Yeah. And that's just goes to your point, Tiff, earlier that, yep. That, that wouldn't have happened 15 or 20 years ago. People would have turned up their noses yep. and said, oh, it's, you know, it's, yeah. it's par 68 or 67 or whatever and it's not a proper golf course. So, um, yeah, it's very, very satisfying. We're so privileged to be able to call it our office. Um, one yeah. final question from me. I know you can't give away too much, but part of, uh, I suppose, you know, with your with your role and and the rise of your name in the world as a, as a golf architect, you get some pretty cool jobs, pretty special jobs that are a bit off the grid. Um, you're yep. working with uh, with someone at the moment. Can you tell us a little bit about the golf course that you're designing? Yeah, so we we had a look. Ashley and I were over here last in the US? year. Yeah, in the US yep. um, in sort of July, August. And, um, yeah, we, we, we were asked, so we are over really to look at Madonna as part, yep. as part of the project there, but we were asked to look at this property um, kind of in the southeast corner of, of, of the country. 
And, um, yeah, we were immediately taken by it. It's kind of got all the ingredients for great golf. It's, well, it's a huge property. It's 2,000 acres. It's um, really it's a- beautifully undulating sand dunes. So it's wow. subtle, sort of like um, like the sand belt and a bit like the Heathland courses in London. So yeah. v- wow. some, of the, some of the views look like the old pictures of Sunningdale. Um, so, and then so, so it's kind of scattered with pine trees and oak trees. Some really low, good, really good low vegetation. It's a little bit like the heath um, back at home, um, and it's a private so it's property, a, I believe. Yeah, pri- private yeah. property, private. Yeah. Exciting. Yeah. Um, so it's no, kind of we're no still committees that to early. deal with. No, <laughs> no, we're just at that early phase of. Um, we spent today kind of walking most of the property and just starting to chip away at what does the golf course look like, where does it best fit, you know, and and, and then we'll develop the routing from there. So, yeah, very incredibly exciting. Well, looking forward to learning more about it. But, Mike, thank you so much for, for joining us. I know the times are not exactly favourable for you, but we really oh, appreciate right. it. And, uh, no you problems. Know, looking forward to seeing what else you come up with. The oh, world's fantastic. your oyster. Oh, well, th- thank you very much. Um, luck. Far Good too luck. kind, but nice chatting. <laughs> yeah, great. Great to chat with you. Mike Cocking there from OCM. And uh, coming up next, Marco, we've got all the news from around the traps with our news hound, Martin Blake. You're listening to the Australian Golf Show with Mark Allen and Tiffany Cherry. Check us out on at Show on Twitter. We post the link every week as well as on the golfaustralia.org.au website. And Martin Blake joins us, who's uh, just recovered from COVID. Martin, I'm just breathing a sigh of relief because I saw you the uh, two days and I reckon you got it in the middle of those two days. Luckily, I didn't as I was touring Queensland. Should I be masked up? Uh, well, you were master. The, you were very yeah. good, and you kept you kept uh, I, you know I, cleaning your I, hands. I'm just finishing a week's isolation, and that's not much fun either. But uh, how crooked did you get? Uh, yeah, it gave me a fair whack. Actually, I had a terribly sore throat and not much energy, and a bit as they call it, brain fog. Although a couple of people have said to me, "You've always got brain fog," but <laughs> I'm not sure whether it was any different, but. I certainly had brain fog, I'll say that. But I'm back back on deck now. We've got actually it's a it's a big time because we've got, you know, post Christmas we're we're rolling back into tournaments. So mm. next week, as we speak, it's Thursday. Next week is the TPS Victoria event at Rosebud. Yeah, the following week's wait. the Vic Open at 13th Beach. And the week after that is the Jared Lyle Tribute TPS event up at uh, Cobram Baruga. Yep. So there's a lot of golf actually going on. Yeah, it's a really, really exciting times. And hey, um, speaking of COVID and recovering, Kari Webb's playing this week. She's she uh, revealed that she had COVID over Christmas as well. Interesting to see uh, how she actually plays on the back of that. Yeah, I think that uh, I, I did. A little birdie told me that Lucas Herbert's had COVID, COVID recently, and I know that Adam Scott had it last year. So, look uh, from that week at the Australian PGA up at Royal Queensland, uh, you know, there were a number of staff went down. We, we had a writing team of three and all three of us ended up with COVID. So, uh, and, uh, you know, obviously it, it became apparent there, there was a couple of players dropped out. Steph Kiriakou mm. had to yep. drop out. She did a positive test. Sarah Kemp had to drop out. So mm. it's just, it, it is part of the world that we yep. live in. We have to live with it. Um, it's difficult. Everything's difficult. Um, but, you know, what are we to do? We're just going yeah. to keep, keep playing forward. I, I, I was really fascinated with your chat, guys, with Mike Cocking, who is, as you call him, a rising star. I mean, we're, we're talking about a rising star on a world scale, not just Australia. Yeah. So um, the Golf Australia magazine, there's several 
there's not just one lot of uh, golf course rankings in Australia. There's there's a number of them, but the Golf Australia magazine is is quite a well-known one and a good one. And they came out for 2022 just recently. And I just wanted to touch on that because yep. it, it's the usual suspects up near the top. So obviously Royal Melbourne West is number one again. Cape Wickham in Tassie or on King Island is is number two. But uh, there are a couple that jumped out at me. I wonder uh-huh. what, you, what you thought about this. So Yarra Yarra, which is actually my club, so I'm yep. biased in this, but Yarra Yarra has traditionally been somewhere in the 30s on the on the Australian rankings. And they didn't get in the rankings last time because they were being redesigned by mm-hmm. Tom Doak and his company. They're at 17, wow. um, yeah. which that is a big jump. That's a big Huge. kick for Tom Doak's redesign of that course. Can I, can I tell you what, what Tom Doak has done there is transformed the golf course from a, a golf course that was, you know, for most members, uh, hard to get around as far as looking for golf balls. Mm-hmm. He, he's turned that into a mini rural Melbourne. And every time I drive through the gates at Yarra Yarra these days, I think it is just amazing what he has done and just the simplifying. I think committees for a long time, you know, they were planting so many trees. They had this little thing in the back of their head that every hole had to be their own little world. You couldn't see any part of the golf course. But now that he's opened up the golf course and he can see all this beautiful, you know, know, green complexes all over the place, it adds to the product and the Ariara has benefited. 17, I think it's spot on. Hey, for for the uninitiated, how do they rank? A golf course. And I, I'm no doubt there's many they, parameters. They have, but... a, they have a panel and yep. then they put parameters in place. Now, the Golf Digest magazine does one as well, and they didn't do one this year. They chose not to, and they've explained that with COVID, they, people couldn't get around to the courses enough to, to really do it properly. That That's what mm. they said. But Golf Australia magazine chose to go ahead and, and do theirs. Interesting, on the point that you made, or Mike Cocking made about ranking of uh, non-traditional courses. Um, Sandy Links came on in 51. Boogle Run, which is the short course at Barn Boogle, mm. which I've never seen, but apparently I've never seen awesome. that actually got it ranked at 38 in Australia, even though it's <laughs> not a full 18-hole course. Um, Lonsdale Links, uh, which has been redesigned yeah. uh, by Cocking Mead, uh, comes in at number 29 on debut. That's another one yeah. that, that jumped out at me. Yeah. Um, you know, yeah. one of the things I disagree with, I think Cape Wickham is an amazing golf course. I disagree with it being number two in the country. And I think what they should do, because they, they talk about playability, they talk about course condition, they talk about design, they talk about, you know, being able to play for all levels, all these sorts of things, um, which I think is right. I think they should actually talk about playability day to day because every time I go down the Bunnaboogle yeah. or Cape Wickham, I don't want to play because it's a it's an eight or nine club wind. Mm, so yeah. I, I get that the clubs are on the cliffs and they're beautiful and the design's yeah. fantastic. But I think they've got to add in there, you know, you, you want to play this place every week or something like that. Yeah. It's a course that you want to play yeah. week after week. So that's because, what I mean about the parameters. Like what yeah. are they? Is in yeah. yeah, well, I think that one should be added because I think if that was added, then I think you would find that some of the other golf courses that are great to play every time you tee it up. You know, like you, you go to the. I'm going to. I'm going to throw in New South Wales. I'm going to throw in. You know, Number some of the nine New South so, Wales. Yep. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to throw in. Uh, you know, golf course Royal Adelaide. Um, some uh, Lake Karen up in, in Perth. These these sort of golf courses. You, you put your name down every single Wednesday and enjoy yourself. Yeah. But if you did, if you put your name down every single Wednesday um, at Cape Wickham or Barnboogle, 
I mean, every, every time I've been down there, my buggy is blowing over. It's a horrible experience. And I've actually got to go out the next day to have a look at the golf course to try and appreciate what they've done. So I think that, well, I, I think I, that I should think be thrown in there somehow. That um, I, I think you made a very fair point there. So this year's top 10 for Golf Australia magazine, Royal Melbourne West, Cape Wickham 2, Barn Boogle Dunes 3, Barn Boogle Lost Farm 4. I feel like that's a fraction high, but yeah. that's just an opinion. Yep. Kingston Heath 5, very low, in my opinion, yep. should be higher. Peninsula, Kingswood North, number 6, possibly should be higher. Uh, Royal Melbourne East, number 7. The National Gunnamatta course, number 8, I feel like that's too high. I think the other courses at the National are better. Yep. Uh, New South Wales, number 9. Victoria sneaks in at number 10. Hmm. Here's a few that aren't in the top 10. Metropol- yeah. These are really great golf courses. Metropolitan, yeah. Yeah. Uh, both of the courses at Cape Shank, uh, the National Cape Shank, so yeah. the Moona course and yeah. the Old course, fantastic golf courses. Yeah. Uh, Royal Adelaide, not in the top 10. Kuyonga, not in the top 10. Yeah. Karen Up, not in the top 10. So it's, yeah, it's a hard school, isn't it? It's a very tough school. But like I said, I mean, you've got to have in the back of your mind that it's a place that you'd like to play often. You know, once a week. That that should be in the back of mind. So it's places like, you know, Cyprus, Pine Valley, that, they mm. tick those boxes because it's not often that windy. Every I mean, the times I've been there, they're, they're, they're not. So have that in the back of the mind. Like I said, the, the, those courses, what, two, three, four, um, two, three and four, quite often you get there and it's a day you just don't want to play. Did you notice, uh, Tiff, that Rod Pampling's son, Sam, won an event in America? This is big. No, I didn't see this. Marco pointed this out to me this yep. week. Sam, he's in the 15 to 18 age group in a like a high school tour type yep. event. All It's an all-American tour called the All-American Tour. So it's his first win. So Pamps, uh, who's just gone on to the senior tour and still playing very well, uh, lives in Texas, uh, he very proudly put him out on Instagram the other day. Uh, there's quite a lot of golf around, as I mentioned. Uh, Kirsten Rudgley and Jaden Ford won the Avondale Amateur last week. Marco, you would have played yep. that event probably. Yeah, a long time ago. Yep. <laughs> Kirsten Rudgley, who's probably the best uh, female amateur in Australia right now, out of Perth, mm. Mount Lawley, uh, she's got an invitation to play in the Augusta Invitational yep. later this year. So, oh, wow. Um, that, that makes her one of the best in the world. So. Uh, what a, what an opportunity! Yeah. Opportunity, so good, yeah. so good. I didn't know that, Martin. That's mm-hmm. fantastic news. The uh, New South Wales Amateur is on this week. So Josh Greer from WA and Sarah Hammett from Queensland won the medals uh, from the stroke play section. That's down at Shell Cove and Wollongong. And I wanted to mention that the Vic Open, which is only a couple of weeks yep. ago, Sue O is actually going to come back and play. She's in America playing this week. She's going to get on a plane and come back because there's a bit of a lull in the LPGA. with Curry. In the same Season. group. Yeah. So so it'll be Sue O, Steph Kiriaku and uh, Hannah Green all playing at 13th Fabulous. Uh, Beach. So that, and uh, my, one last thing I wanted to mention, and Marco, you touched on this earlier about the uh, the good male amateurs playing against the LPGA. Yeah. Players. I, I had, this was my stat of the week. So Danielle Kang won that event there. She shot 16 under in that event. Yeah. Uh, but one of the magazines or the websites this week just had a look at this and someone like, uh, Derek Lowe, who's a baseballer, yep. who plays off plus uh, plus point two, so yep. he's a very very good yep. player. Uh, he shot seven over par, so he's twenty three shots behind her. I love this. But Marty Fish, who is a <laughs> yep. tennis pro, who is now a very good golfer, he actually has a handicap of plus two point eight. Yeah. 
he shot 18 over par there for four go. days. So he was 25. Uh, well, what's that? Yeah. Third, uh, uh, 34 behind. Yeah. Yeah. And, so, and they play off the same tees. So they, yep. they weren't playing off same the tees, tees behind. Same tees. So yeah. I think it was a wonderful thing that mm. they've done over there and dispels a lot because, um, you know, these the, the people you see on TV, um, they are – so sharp, and they yep. they'd leave their amateur, these amateur fellows behind. Absolutely, it's great. All right, uh, that's well, all Martin, for me. Thank you so much. Look after yourself. We'll see you at work uh, maybe next week. Good, good on you guys. Thanks for out, that. out of quarantine. All right, and Marco, we've got your uh, Marco's masterclass coming mm. up after this. Well, Marco, I've put a few of your tips to the test. I was playing at Begara Golf Course up in Queensland on the southern tip of the Great Barrier Reef uh, with my dad last week. And, uh, geez, it looked beautiful. But uh, I'm desperate for more. So what have you got for us this week? Okay. So I had a good look at Thomas Peters. And also I'm going to throw Victor Hovland uh, in this little bracket as well, uh, who's freshly in the top five in the world, Victor Hovland. Keep watching him. I said this earlier in the program. I'm such a big rap. But one of the things I've always spoken about uh, trying to get some power is, is to get the shoulder turned. It's mm. the horsepower in a golf swing. Um, when you watch these guys do it versus when I try and get amateurs to do it, there's two different things happen. They can make the shoulder turn, but all the weight jumps off their left foot very early. So when you're trying to get your left shoulder past your chin for right-handers, opposite for lefties, when you're trying to get that left shoulder past your chin to create turn, to create horsepower, make sure weight doesn't jump off the left foot early. Because what happens, a lot of people, they'll, they'll, they'll focus on turning the shoulders, turning their back, getting this horsepower that I'm talking about, and then they all their weight jumps off the left foot. They start swaying all over the place and it and just doesn't make backwards. sense. Yeah, yeah. Yes. So uh, just watch the big guys on the TV, the big guys and the big girls. When they make these huge shoulder turns, the weight doesn't come off the left foot until later in the mm-hmm. backswing. It's very, very important. But big shoulder turn, short swing, it is a recipe for accuracy and power. Righto. I'm off to the driving range and I'll catch you next week. See ya.